Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for coming out on Christmas Eve. It is good to see you and good to have you with us this evening. I always think um, when we see kids uh, sing in a service, I'm like, it's not fair to put them at the front end because how do you compete with that? Um, but thank you guys so much for singing. Love, love the time and the effort that you put into that. Uh, my name is Jonathan Mosier. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are delighted, as always, that you took time out of your evening to be with us. If you're not already there in your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Well, growing up, there was a tradition in our church, which is we had a Christmas play every single year. And so every year, I remember holding out hope that this was going to be the year that I got chosen for the key roles. I wanted to be Joseph. I'd settle maybe for an angel. But year after year, I kept getting the role of shepherd. There was no lines associated with being a shepherd. You walked in with a shepherd's crook. Eventually, you walked out. People talked to you and at you, but you never had anything fun to say. And I remember the one year in particular where I landed the biggest role that I ever would land in a Christmas play, which was that of the innkeeper. I got to be the jerk that turned away the pregnant mother of Jesus. And I can still remember, I can still remember the scene as Joseph and Mary made their way over to me and said, is there any room in the inn? And I can still remember my big line, there's no room. That was it. That was the whole That was the whole line. And what it lacked in originality, I like to think I made up for in delivery. But but like many church kids, there's a familiarity that comes along with this story. And even as you heard this text being read tonight from Luke chapter 2, for many of you, your mind flashes back immediately to, uh, to, to Linus telling this exact story. Remember where he's quoting it? He drops his security blanket. He begins to tell this whole story in and, and, and the Charlie Brown Christmas special. Our minds go to that because of its familiarity. Even for some of you, as it was being read, you are quoting it along uh, with the reader in your mind. And the danger of a text like this that is as familiar and nostalgic is that we lose its beauty and its familiarity. It's often hard to see what is truly profound and wondrous in the commonplace. And for me, it wasn't until years later that I realized how beautiful and profound uh, the spiritual realities of this passage are because this passage records for us the most amazing announcement that had ever been brought to humanity. That God himself, God incarnate, which literally means God in the flesh, came to earth. He came to be among his creation. He came to be with his people. He stepped out of time, out of the infiniteness of the the universe, and out of the infiniteness of, uh, of everything he created. He steps into his creation. And so this evening, what I'd like to do is hear that announcement through the ears of the shepherds. And to suggest that even the characters who spawned the most basic of Christmas play acting roles have actually given us an incredible insight into the beauty of the Christmas message. So let's start by looking at the recipients of this great announcement in verse 8 of Luke chapter 2. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. Now, we might have a tendency to look at ancient shepherds as kind of the forerunner to the Old West cowboys, right? We assign a little bit of mystique, a little bit of romanticism to their occupation. We think of the great shepherds of the Bible. We think of men like David. And so in our modern context, we tend to think fairly highly of these shepherds when we hear this story read. But shepherds at this time were an incredibly lowly class. These were not wealthy individuals of high standing. These were largely uneducated, subsistence-level workers. 
They may not have even owned the sheep that they were watching. It was very possible that they had been hired by somebody else to watch their flocks. And not only were shepherds lowly by nature, but they often had a very poor reputation. Far from the nostalgia that we tend to assign to them, whether or not it was deserved, shepherds often had a reputation for being shady, for being dishonest in their dealings, for perhaps for stealing sheep from some of the flocks that they were watching. They were known, many of them, for living morally repugnant lives. And most notably, by virtue of the fact that these shepherds had to be out in the fields caring for the sheep day in and day out, shepherds would work on the Sabbath, thus violating the Old Testament law, and therefore did not attend temple gatherings. They were left ceremonially unclean and, and culturally as pariahs in Jewish culture. And what really put all of this into stark contrast for me this week is something that I came across in my reading, which was that at this time there was actually a law, a rabbinical law, placed on the people by the rabbinical leaders uh, within Judaism that declared that any sheep that was being cared for in the geographic region between Jerusalem and, Beth and Bethlehem was expected to be used for sacrifice in the temple. In other words, and think about this, these shepherds, the shepherds likely made their living by raising sheep that, they were then, that were then going to be used as sacrifice by those who were coming to the temple to worship God. Here are these men who are societal outcasts and spiritual vagabonds raising animals for the worship of God, but unable to worship God themselves. Imagine the sense of shame that these men must have felt growing up in a religious culture, being disallowed to engage in the worship of God by virtue of their occupation, but needing to provide the very animals that were necessary for that worship. They were so close and yet so far. It'd be like being able to see and smell a delicious steak dinner, but not having the means to sit and partake. And yet of all the people in the world to whom God could have sent a message, he didn't choose the political rulers of the day or the religious leaders or influential socialites. He chose disreputable, undeserving, spiritually unfaithful nomads. But second, notice their response to that announcement. Verse 9. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Now that response is perfectly reasonable. It's likely how we would have responded if we were in their position. I mean, just imagine this scene. Here are these men sitting outside in the evening, perhaps sitting next to a, a campfire like they would have done every night, and suddenly, without warning, an angel of God appears to them. We tend to think of people from this era as being backwards, antiquated, easily convinced. But these men had never seen anything like this. They had no context for the creature that had just appeared before them. And not only did an unfamiliar creature appear to them, but they are suddenly surrounded by the glory of God. Whenever we see the glory of God reveal itself in the Bible, mankind's response is always overwhelming fear. Because it's the only rational response that one could have had to being exposed to something so powerful and so unexpected. When Moses was given a partial glimpse at the glory of God on Mount Sinai, his face literally glowed when he descended from the mountain, and the people who saw him were afraid. In 2 Chronicles, when the glory of the Lord entered into the temple, the priests couldn't even stand up in its presence. So imagine then how these men must have felt. 
These men who hadn't darkened the doors of the temple for who knows how long, they suddenly find themselves face to face with a messenger from God, and they are bathed in his glory. They felt fearful, bewildered, and exposed. But their fearful response was undone when they discovered the reason for the announcement. Verse 10, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward all men. The angel says, look, I've come to tell you today that the Messiah has been born. The one whom you and your ancestors have long waited for, the Savior of the world, God in the flesh, has actually been born today in the city of Bethlehem, Jesus the Christ, Jesus who is going to be the Savior of his people, the Christ, the the New Testament term for the Messiah. This Jesus has been born, that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And hear this, what he's saying is that the literal presence of God with the shepherds, first through the baby who'd been born, or rather first through the glory displayed in the fields and now through this baby who'd been born, was not intended to strike fear into their hearts. The glory of the Lord was not intended to scare them into hiding or cause them to run away. No, the presence of God did in these men's lives what it always intends to do. It drew them into comfort and joy. See, this is the incredible thing about our God. As amazing and as powerful and glorious and awe-inspiring as he is, when he reveals himself to us, it is never to push us away and make us feel small. It is always to draw us near and assure us of our acceptance through Christ. That's the reason the shepherds didn't need to be afraid. You see, if God had appeared to them but didn't extend his love and his acceptance and his forgiveness to them, then they should have been afraid. Do you understand that our sin, the multitude of ways in which we violate the law of God, do you understand that our sin is deserving of the wrath of God? That there is punishment due us for our actions and our behaviors and our thoughts? Because sin at its root is not merely a violation of the written law of God. Sin at its root is cosmic rebellion. It's telling the God who created you and the God who had a plan for you and the God who designed you and made you who you are to be that he doesn't have the say in your life that he thinks he has. That you're going to be your own king, that you're going to be your own ruler. It is us It is us in one sense or another shaking our fist in the hands of our creator and saying, how dare you try to tell your creation what to do? And that attitude, whether or not we would voice it like that, is deserving of punishment. But in the coming of Jesus Christ, God was extending his love toward us. The perfect love of a perfect God was being given to imperfect people. And so the angel says, let your fear be replaced with joy. Because as the apostle said, perfect love casts out fear. 
And notice that the angel did not say, I bring news for good people. He said, I bring good news for all people. The gospel, the good news of Jesus' birth, isn't just for the religious people or the morally upright people or the people who have their lives all together. The good news was for, according to verse 10, all people, including these shepherds, including you and me. And the angel doesn't just stop with the announcement of Jesus' birth, but then he extends to these men an invitation. He says, come, see for yourself. And notice the results of this announcement in the lives of the shepherds. Verse 15, and it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. See, the shepherds received the invitation of the angel. They made their way to Bethlehem. They found Mary and Joseph. And there, lying in the manger, is the Christ child. And as they looked into the face of Jesus, these men who had spent their lives caring for sheep in the fields now find themselves face to face with the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Because that child in that manger would grow up to be a savior on a cross. As much as we rightly celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, his story was far from over at his birth. Jesus, God incarnate, God in the flesh, came to this earth knowing what was going to happen to him. He knew, it was, he, he knew exactly what was going to happen, and it wasn't a surprise. The cross was not an accident. He came knowing that he was going to die for the sins of the world. He came to bring forgiveness for our rebellion. He came to bring acceptance to the religious outcasts and the spiritual failures. He came to save us. Because we know that just three days after his death, Jesus, in an unprecedented display of his power over sin and death, rose from the grave. So that you could not only have the forgiveness of your sins, but new life in him. And look what it does to these men. These social pariahs, these religious outcasts, look what happens in their lives according to verse 18. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Verse 20. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. See, Jesus knew what he was getting with these men. He knew their baggage, he knew their shame, he knew their history, he knew their worldview and their outlook, he knew their doubts and their fears and their longings. He knew that even after meeting him, they would continue to fail, and yet he still came. And Jesus comes for you the exact same way. Knowing your history, knowing your struggles, knowing your doubts, knowing your failures, not only your failures past, but your failures future, and he still came. He gave up the glories of heaven for you so that you could receive his forgiveness, so that you could receive his affirmation, so that you could glorify and praise him. The angels brought the message to the shepherds so that you and I would know for sure that this message was also for us. 
See, God in this account brought an announcement to the most unlikely people so that you could know that you are not beyond the saving grace that he offers. He used the most unlikely messenger so that you would be unable to claim that God could never use or save someone like you. And in return, he invites us to find peace in him and to find joy everlasting so that we'd be able to glory and glorify and praise him like those shepherds because God did what he told us he would do. And tonight, God extends to you the very same invitation. The same invitation that he extended to the shepherds 2,000 years ago is available to you now. And that invitation is good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. Come and see the newborn baby who had lived the perfect life that you could never live, who would die the death that you deserved, and who rose from the dead to give you life everlasting with him. That is what we celebrate at Christmas. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the greatest gift that you could have ever given us. Thank you that you broke through the darkness and brought the light to us. Thank you that you've offered us the release from our own pursuits for significance and salvation and that you've delivered us more than we could have ever asked for. And as we consider the coming of Jesus Christ, would we see him as he is? He then is beautiful in heaven, beautiful on earth, beautiful in the womb, beautiful in his parents' arms, beautiful in his miracles, beautiful under the scourge, beautiful when inviting to life, beautiful in laying down his life, beautiful in taking it up again, beautiful on the cross, beautiful in the grave, beautiful once again in heaven. Let the beauty and wonder of the Lord Jesus be our, our last thought this evening and our first thought tomorrow. And all God's people said, amen.